Welcome back to Streamageddon, the TV and streaming podcast that loves to shock you by doing something very predictable at a time when you least expect it. We'll get into that later in the episode, but first, I am your host, Chris Barlow, and I am joined by the waystar to my Royco, Diane Nora. How you doing this week, Diane? Oh, it's been an emotional roller coaster, I must say, Chris. Ooh, same here. And and I assume you're just referring to David Zaslov's gripping presentation today, the day we record, unveiling Max. Max is coming, May 23rd. Ooh, I am already counting down the days. I, I've got a big, you know, flipboard sign, like how many days since an injury at the workplace. It's how many days until Max injures us all by forcing us to learn yet another streaming interface. They promise it's going to be easier this time, Chris. I've heard this before, <laughs> Diane, but we'll get we'll get to it. We'll get to all the details because, yes, this is the Max-tacular, formerly known as the HBO Max-tacular, but no more. <laughs> Because in just a little bit, we're going to talk about this week's biggest story, which is the end of HBO Max and the beginning of the Max era. I, I just, it's dawning on me how many times we're going to say the word Max in the next 60 minutes, and I'm already, it's already lost all meaning to me, Diane. Welcome to the new era. Oh, boy. And, and of course, speaking of things that air on the streaming network formerly known as HBO Max, later in this episode, surprise, we are going to talk about Succession yet again. I know, I know, we talked about it on our last episode, but if you follow Succession or just opened Twitter this weekend, you know that it was a big week on Succession. And so no spoilers until we get there later in the episode. If you are somehow, somehow avoiding the news about what happened on Succession, I Truly, hats off to you. Please write to us and tell us how you are avoiding these spoilers. Podcast at streamageddon.com. We want to hear from you, lone person living in a cave, yet also listening to this podcast. Uh, but we will talk about what that means for our uh, TV tarot, where we guessed what would happen later this season on Succession. I think we already guessed some things wrong, but again, no spoilers yet. We will get there. But first, we have to get to the news. And before we get to the really big news, we have to do a, a whole bunch of follow-up. So let's just begin on the follow-up train with a story we have been following on and off since, I think, the dawn of time. Uh, the rise of video games in streaming. Obviously, The Last of Us uh, made a big mark on the streaming universe. But uh, another one that uh, is not technically part of the streaming universe yet, but I'm going to say it uh, belongs, is the Mario movie. Diane, I actually haven't seen it yet because I'm going with a friend and our, our schedules are just very difficult to line up. But the Mario movie is now the biggest animated opening worldwide ever. I hear it's a blast. Same, same. I can't wait to see it. It beat Frozen 2's global box office record. Uh, and this is where we pivot to streaming. Where do you think you're going to be able to watch the Mario movie when it hits streaming, Diane? Uh, well, it depends how long I wait. Apparently it does, because you might know Mario is a uh, an Illumination production, and Illumination, uh, you know, home of the Minions and company, has a deal with NBC Universal's Comcast, of course. That means we're talking about Peacock. Except not for very long, because according to this deal, the film will go to Peacock for four months and then move to... Netflix for the next 10 months after that. So now we're at 14 months. Then it's going to go, yes, back to Peacock. 
for the final four months. And then that's 18 months, and I guess the Mario movie expires after 18 months. And there you have it. That's the streaming future of the Mario movie, Diane. So if you're a, a parent, just be signed up for Peacock and Netflix for the next 18 months. I think that's the solution, and that is a solution we would endorse here at Streamageddon. Uh, but you know... If you do stay subscribed to Peacock, you might be uh, interested in seeing what else is on Peacock, which brings us to another piece of follow-up. We have talked about Peacock's involvement with the WWE many times. It brought them a really uh, devoted niche audience that has helped uh, grow Peacock over the last year or so. Uh, And now the WWE is merging with UFC. So what does that mean for Peacock's big WWE deal, Diane? Well, we have to wait and see. Um, For right now, the um, WWE will still be streaming on Peacock because they have an existing deal that goes through 2026 uh, for the streaming rights to WWE. But that could change. They could renegotiate that deal at some point. Right, because that's not the only WWE deal in play. Uh, Fox and NBC Universal have the TV mm-hmm. rights uh, split between them. And then meanwhile, UFC has their own TV deal with ESPN, which is obviously part of the Disney universe. So uh, will they try to now uh, pool the IP of the UFC and the WWE together for more leverage in negotiations? Are they going to try to sell a pack? package deal or are they gonna keep them split up ufc also has its own dedicated streamer um that includes a lot of the fights but doesn't include all of the pay-per-views so really you could just be spending so much um watching people beat each other up and watching people pretend to beat each other up now, potentially on the same streamer. We'll see. Wow, that is a really compelling deal. But that is not the only uh, deal you could take advantage of right now. You could uh, decide to sign up for a little service known as Disney+. Plus. No, I don't have a discount code for you, sorry to say, not that kind of deal, but you might want to get in on the big deal. The big deal at Disney Plus, of course, being Star Wars, because that's their only deal besides Marvel. But right now, Marvel is uh, cooling a bit because we don't want to oversaturate you. So instead, we'll oversaturate you with Star Wars content because it was the 2023 Star Wars Celebration. Uh, recently. This is not to be confused with Star Wars Day, which is coming up next month. This is the Star Wars Celebration, uh, which I guess means on Star Wars Day we don't celebrate, but we mourn. That makes sense. Never wish anyone a happy Star Wars Day. It's very gauche. Oh, Jesus. Uh, But, you know, at the Star Wars Celebration, uh, we got some information on uh, what's coming up in the Disney Plus. What's the deal with the Disney Plus Star Wars universe? Uh, And, of course, the next show is Ahsoka, which we already knew about, but they dropped a trailer for it. This is Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka, a character who uh, has been in many, many, many Star Wars properties at this point. But Rosario Dawson took the role uh, in The Mandalorian, and they've been teasing this spinoff for her for years now. Uh, and I, I the trailer looks good. Sure, sign me up. She's great. Yeah, yeah. I, I might check it out, uh, especially if I don't have to have seen The Mandalorian. Uh-huh. I love I the, the, the muted enthusiasm you brought to that is perhaps the issue plaguing the Star Wars universe right now. Well, you've been saying there's all this Star Wars content, and that's true. But at the same time, where is my Star Wars movie? 
Yeah, they, they once again just said uh, Kathleen Kennedy, head of the, the Star Wars division, uh, said, oh, sure, we're going to do a movie with Daisy Ridley as Rey, uh, following her building the new Order of Jedi after the uh, the trilogy. Uh, and then she kind of loosely mentioned, oh, yeah, we, we want to do that Taika Waititi movie. He's still writing it, and we, we don't want to, like, get in his way, which means that we may never see that movie because it's not even written. Uh, and, and then she kind of dismissed that they would ever really get Ryan Johnson back, even though they would love to work with him. It just doesn't seem like it's gonna be possible. Well, they sure treated him so nicely before. I know. Uh, I'm like, are you sure he wants to work with you again? Because it didn't go so great the first time. Yeah, I have some big questions about the way this franchise is being managed. At the same time, Andor last year, that was one of my favorite shows of the year and one of my favorite Star Wars properties either. So I have very conflicting feelings about Star Wars. Same, same. Uh, The other little tidbit that Kathleen Kennedy dropped, again, in a really backhanded way, is that there are no plans for a season two of Obi-Wan Kenobi, even though she says Ewan would love to do it. Again, that seems like you're kind of throwing your talent under the bus. Why? Why? Yeah, I just didn't quite understand. It's as if she she got the memo that people are feeling over-indexed on Star Wars, that they've got some Star Wars fatigue, and she went, sure, I can embody Star Wars fatigue for you, which I don't think was what we needed, but okay, sure, it's a kind of empathy. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, Cap. But, you know, it could be worse. There are things worse than being in charge of the uh, truly one of the most fatigued franchises in existence right now, because you could be, perhaps, Amazon Prime Video, which is the subject of our next piece of follow-up. I don't have an Amazon Prime Video sound effect because, honestly, I don't have the time or energy to spend five minutes on that. And I think that says everything we need to know about the state of Amazon Prime Video. I don't even know if Amazon has a sound. Is it just like me screaming at people not to use Alexa around me because I don't want her stealing my data? I apologize to all of our listeners whose Alexas were just (laughs) triggered now twice. You're welcome. You're welcome. Don't don't have one. It's the solution. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's your fault, not ours. Uh, but, you know, the story we are talking about is a what I will describe as a brutal piece by Kim Masters in The Hollywood Reporter going into uh, a lot of the happenings at Amazon Prime Video. But the headline that most people caught is that um, the, the Rings of Power, The Rings of Power, a show we actually said we liked. I uh, will admit I have still not finished season one of The Rings of Power. Have you, Diane? Yes, it is a lot of show, though. Well, you are one of the about 34% of people who successfully finished season one of The Rings of Power. There are dozens of us. (laughs) Almost. Yeah, this was the the headline number that came out. Um, the Rings of Power, oh, I'm sorry, I underestimated it. A whole 37% of viewers finished season one of The Rings of Power. Uh, it should be clear, that is the domestic completion rate. Uh, perhaps The Rings of Power was a wild hit overseas, though that is not the tone of the piece. Uh, they say, actually, I'm just, I should just read further. Overseas, it only reached 45%. And if you're wondering, what is a good completion rate? Well, Kim Masters says 50% would be solid, but not spectacular. So we are not even at solid, but not spectacular. We're well below that. Particularly for a show that is this pricey and that so many 
subsequent seasons seem to be part of the planning. Yeah. And they, they say they've got, you know, they, they went to Amazon for comment on a lot of this piece, obviously. And you could tell the Amazon reps had a sense of what kind of story this was going to turn into. So there's a lot of them trying to put some positive spin on this. And the, the bit about the rings of power that just really, I don't think, went the way Amazon hoped it would go is when uh, the executive from Amazon said, you know, uh, the desire to paint the show as anything less than a success, it's not reflective of any conversation I'm having internally, which, sure, I would hope that internally you you think that you're making something worth your time. Uh, And then the the quote uh, continues, the first season required a lot of setting up. And I'm going to just leave it there because that is the description of the first season. Do you just want to watch 11 hours of backstory? We got you. I still think it was better than the show that walloped it, uh, the new Game of Thrones show. Um, And part of that, it seems like it was unwise to go up against HBO. I liked The Rings of Power. I didn't feel compelled to turn it on every week on time because I didn't think it was going to get spoiled for me. I didn't think it was going to be water cooler conversation. So, you know, I don't know. I actually think one of the big lessons here is you cannot expect to win in a a head-to-head showdown against the cultural cachet of a major HBO weekly release. Like, it eats all of the oxygen. And, And in a way, the Marvel shows and the early Star Wars shows, like when Mandalorian was new, had the same effect for Disney. And that sort of waned a little bit, especially with, like, the new season of Mandalorian is not water cooler fodder. A lot of people are falling behind or just disengaging. Uh, And meanwhile, you know, HBO, which we're going to talk about later, is seemingly demoted in its new status, is actually hit after hit after hit dominating the cultural conversation. And so, yeah, I think whether you think the, the Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones are similar in genre or theme is almost irrelevant. It's that they were literally going weekly head-to-head against the the show of last fall. There was no other show bigger. If uh, Netflix did weekly releases, Squid Game would occupy the same kind of air where you'd be a fool to go up against it. Yeah, also that uh, hour-plus runtime on every episode... Oof makes it harder for people to squeeze in. I know a lot of popular shows are doing that right now. And um, on behalf of viewers everywhere, cut it out. I agree. I agree. But, you know, uh, I, I did want to hit a couple more points from the Kim Masters piece, the the link to the whole thing, worth your time, is in the show notes. Uh, they point out that, you know, amongst the uh, industry insiders who obviously spoke to Kim uh, off the record or anonymously, uh Amazon has a reputation for seemingly overpaying for talent and not getting much work out of the talent they overpay for. They mentioned in particular throwing a ton of money at Phoebe Waller-Bridge after Fleabag, which was, of course, a huge hit. But Fleabag was actually a BBC series that Amazon just got the international rights for, basically. Uh, And so they they tried to then get a hit out of Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And she's taken a ton of their money and worked on projects, but not a single one of them has seen the light of day. Again, looking at the length of time of an episode of Fleabag is a half an hour series, right? And there were like six episodes in two seasons, and that was the whole thing. It was six hours of TV. That's, you know, 
a third of their Amazon Prime series for the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it's just like, I I really, really love Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I'm excited to see her in the new Indiana Jones. But, uh, you know, creating content on that scale is going to take a lot longer. And, you know, I, not every project is going to win. It is kind of encouraging that they are investing in talent. Yeah, absolutely. What I thought, uh, again, interesting in this piece is that talent seems to demand more money out of Amazon uh, in order to go there, that that talent would be willing to do work for, let's say, a Netflix or an HBO for less than than Amazon has to offer them to get them on board. Uh, And so even talent looks at Amazon and goes, well, yeah, sure, I'd love the opportunity to make something, but... I don't trust you as a steward of it. You need to kind of cover my risk a bit more. That's the economics, really. I mean, that makes sense. If you want a ton of viewers, you want potentially big awards and stuff, Amazon might not be your best bet. What are you talking about? They can put your your show's title on every box they deliver. They have they have a marketing machine that is uniquely Amazon. And yet, I'll tell you what I have seen most recently on my Amazon boxes is the Super Mario movie. Interesting. Yeah, and still, that doesn't seem to be as valuable of marketing real estate as, say, the homepage of Netflix. Uh, you could say that again. And, you know, speaking of Netflix, I don't have any follow-up for Netflix this week, but we are watching some shows on Netflix. And so if you are interested in seeing uh, what we're going to talk about in our next episode, uh, we're looking at The Night Agent and Beef, two shows on Netflix that are both getting, I think, very different kinds of buzz. It is uh, quietly a good time for Netflix, I think. It really is. And I'm very excited to talk about both of these shows. So, um if if Succession had been slightly less monumental this week, that's what you would have been hearing from us. But we promise we're going to do it. Priorities. We got to go where, where Succession goes. Uh, but, you know, before we get to Succession, other shows on HBO. We mentioned that uh, The Rings of Power went head-to-head with a little show called House of the Dragon. Uh, And House of the Dragon was such a hit that there is a rumor circulating. This this, uh, is not related to the Max rebranding. This is just a rumor going around that HBO is thinking about greenlighting a prequel to House of the Dragon, which would be a prequel to the prequel. Uh, they, there is another prequel we're going to talk about later that is just another prequel to the Game of Thrones we know and loved. Uh, but this would be, what if people just love the House of the Dragon so much, what if we just gave them more of that backstory? Which, on the one hand, is extremely lazy, and on the other hand, I kind of love how lazy it is, because I'm like, sure, you know what? You, your theory was proven out pretty substantially by House of the Dragon. Why not follow the data? Sure, just give us more young people and do horrendous things to them. And wigs. Oh, okay. Uh, horrendous acts and horrible wigs. The Game of Thrones story. I miss when it was tits and dragons. Me too, you know? Didn't realize I'd feel that way, but I do. But, you know, that's not the only uh, piece of hot HBO gossip I want to touch on before we get to the real HBO news. Uh, And, of course, that would be our favorite HBO show that's not Succession. 
The White Lotus, and The White Lotus Season 3, which is now basically confirmed to be headed to Thailand. Variety broke the news, and I have a link in the show notes from Architectural Digest, which is looking at all the potential resorts in Thailand where they could film Season 3 of The White Lotus. I I cannot wait to go on some strange sort of uh, internet Zillow-like tourism through resorts in Thailand. Agreed. I also wonder if different locales are like bidding on White Lotus seasons the way that, say, you know, different cities in the U.S. bid to host (laughs) um, the DNC or the Olympics, you know, like or a new Amazon warehouse. It's like, no, please shoot it here. We could use the, the tourist bump. I've been thinking of nothing but Sicily for months. It's so true. Uh, I do think the odds are it'll be a Four Seasons because uh, Seasons 1 and 2 were in the Four Seasons. And there are apparently four possible locations for that in Thailand. So even if it is a Four Seasons, we get to go to some very exotic locales in our imaginations. Uh, I'll, I'll be there thinking of Tanya. Every time, every time. Uh, but you know, that brings us, I think at long last, to the biggest story of the week, uh, except for the one that involves fictional characters. I- I'll rephrase. The biggest story involving non-fictional... Ca- okay, well, the, the, it is a company that makes a lot of fictional characters. Let's just say the biggest story involving David Zaslav this week. <laughs> Because you see, this story now involves both fictional characters, because we are talking about, of course, uh, HBO as a brand, and they they are the home to many wonderful fictional characters. But we are also talking about the Discovery brand, home to many people who, uh, despite all appearances, are not fictional and are, in fact, real humans. And and we call that, quote-unquote, reality television. Make of that what you will. We are talking, of course, about the rebrand Max. Max has been announced, and Max will bring you everything you knew and loved about HBO Max, minus the reminder that HBO is involved, and plus the content from Discovery+. Plus. But don't worry if you only want Discovery+, Plus. that still exists, and I suppose you could call that HBO-, minus. but that joke's been made many times. It just might be our last chance to make it because they're taking HBO out of the name, Diane! Help me. Help me understand. Understand. It's one syllable. Max. Okay, we wrapped it. It's one syllable, everyone. That was the episode, and we finally figured out the decision behind the rebrand of HBO Max. Good night. <laughs> I think that the choice to call it Max actually makes good sense. Uh, I don't love it because to me, Max involves one place where you get everything. And part of the strategy that Zaz seems to lean into today was something that was a little different than what you have at, say, Disney Plus or Netflix, where it's um, maximum content uh, seems to be their strategy. Whereas he's still saying no, 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 at max, what we'll have is quality, not quantity. Yes, this is something David Zaslav, CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, said to the people today as he presented Max. He said, it's about quality over quantity, while unveiling the new streaming service that that the entire reason for being is quantity. We are just taking the existing service and adding way more content to it. That is literally what it is. And I found something maybe kind of genius about this because he's saying the one thing in order to allay fears of some kind of quality decline 
while obviously the subtext is it's going to have so much more stuff on it because we're opening the floodgates to the discovery content. And we don't have to really emphasize that because that speaks for itself. Right. Except it seems like investors saw through that because by the end of the day, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery stock had fallen 5.8%. Now they could rebound. Yeah. And I have to imagine we didn't, nothing we learned today was particularly surprising. And so there, I think some of that reaction simply might be uh, a bit of deflation uh, around expectations merely being met and not being exceeded. There was no exciting uh, twist or one more thing in this announcement. Uh, some people were hoping we'd get details on this rumored Harry Potter series, but that is still uh, way too far away to have anything that they could show us. Uh, and so I think investors might have been hoping that there would be a little spice to the, the presentation. And while there was a lot to uh, talk about, most of it we already knew. Yeah, or confirmed what we were suspecting. So yeah. Like Basically, when it comes to the prices, this was some new information or some confirmed information. I think this was what Chris predicted. Pretty much the same pricing that you've paid already for HBO Max will be your max pricing, um, except for the addition of an extra tier, which they are calling what is let me walk ultimate you through max? them. We've got, uh, that's Please. Max Ultimate. Not Ultimate Max. No, Ultimate Max sounds like a person <laughs> named Max who is a superhero and they're the Ultimate Max. This is Max Ultimate. But that name is too simple. So it's Max Ultimate Ad Free. Uh, there is no Max Ultimate with ads. Thank you for asking. This is just Max Ultimate Ad Free. Uh, and that is the new tier. That's the new top tier that has a new price point. All the other price points we're going to talk about, pre-existing, no change, uh, as I expected. You don't want to rock the boat too much here. Uh, but this is a new, what I kind of see as a Netflix-style price for a $20 a month or $200 a year. <clears throat> Uh, but that is a discount if you do the math, uh, service that adds the ability to watch 4K content exclusive to Max Ultimate, uh, have 100 offline downloads, ooh, uh, Dolby Atmos Sound, sure, and four concurrent streams. And the, the things that really spoke to me there, uh, that is extremely similar to Netflix's uh, top plan, which is how you get 4K content and four simultaneous streams. Uh, that is uh, pretty on par now, and I think kind of sets uh, maybe a standard for pricing, and it is pricey. Yeah, it that that is pricey. Uh, Nineteen ninety nine. I it's it just sounds too steep for me. Um, though I am one of those weirdos currently getting my uh, HBO through my cable provider. There are still a few of us, perhaps dozens. And that that seems to be unchanged. Um, unchanged. Yeah, and what it seems to be, again, some of these details are not uh, totally clear yet, is that uh, when I say unchanged, I mean you're not going to get Ultimate Max, Max Ultimate. You're going to get Max Ad Free, which is the existing $16 a month or $150 a year uh, tier. That is currently the top tier of HBO Max, uh, but soon will just be the kind of standard middle tier also known as Max Ad Free, which, again, is a pretty straightforward name, um, unlike Max Ultimate Ad Free, which 
I, I, just the ultimate's in the wa- wrong place in that sentence. But but that's not your only choice. You do also have the ability, if you are not like Diane and you do not get your HBO through your cable, I'm sorry, you do not get your Max through your HBO, through your cable. <laughs> that's the correct way to say it now. Uh, there is still the ad-supported tier, which uh, has not changed, $9.99 a month or 99 a year for Max Ad Light. Ad Light. There is no Ad Full. There is no Ads A Lot. There's just Ad Light. Which, you know, sure, why not pretend like there's less ads than what? I don't know. Heavy ads. Yeah, ad heavy. Mm, I want to sign up for that ad heavy plan. (laughs) It just sounds awful. Uh, But none of that was surprising again. We knew going into today, more or less, that pricing would stay more or less the same. Uh, The biggest change here is that, you know, technically the max ad free plan, the existing $16 a month plan, is losing 4K content. And some people do seem a bit miffed about that, but I also happen to know uh, from from the forums that uh, HBO Max does not have a lot of 4K content. You couldn't even watch this week's Succession in 4K. 1080p, baby. Hey, I mean, I don't think I would have noticed. Um, one thing we were discussing right before we started, if at one point live sports made their way onto the Max app, I could see that being something that folks might want to watch in that 4K yeah, um, although at the same time, n- almost nobody is delivering live sports in 4K reliably. YouTube has got their NFL Sunday ticket deal, and and they don't do 4K streams for most sports. Just high def. Yeah, it, it, and it is partly because it's, like, really expensive, and, and there's a lot of bandwidth involved. Sure. And it, you, you, those are uh, events where if it goes down, if the stream crashes, you have people who are furious because it's unfolding live, Right. Right. And HBO doesn't want that mess on their hands, uh, nor nor does Wabro Disco as a whole, of course, uh, because now we're speaking not just about HBO. Um, but I do think one thing that was uh, glaringly missing from today was any talk of news or sports. Yeah, ser- seriously, I expected at least a hat tip to some kind of CNN. This is CNN. But no, it's not CNN. There's just, forget it. Can't even be bothered. Or the NBA. Uh, Right, which are part of the Turner Networks, which, you know, if you cannot keep the size and scale of Wabro Disco straight, it includes TNT, TBS, these networks that are simultaneously kind of zombie networks and extremely important NBA partners. Hugely important NBA partners. Right. How will that make its way to streaming Will it stay on TNT? We'll we'll keep following that, but no update today. No idea. No idea. What we did learn about was a a variety of sizzle reels of upcoming shows and projects. Um, Some of these, again, we already knew. Uh, The Penguin. They showed us a teaser trailer for The Penguin coming in 2024. And sure, it looks good. Fine. It looks like um, Gotham Sopranos. Uh, They they told us that they're working with Chuck Lorre on a hour-long spinoff of The Big Bang Theory, which I just, what that means or why, I'm so confused. But then they have another Chuck Lorre project called How to Be a Bookie. Okay. Uh, They also said they're going to do a series based on The Conjuring. It was just kind of like a grab bag of, of stuff. Which, again, I think speaks to the underlying message of this, which was, we've just got a lot of stuff 
Do you have old people, young people? Do you have people who like comics, people who don't like comics, people who like house shows, people who don't like house shows? Well, we have something for all of those people. Which is strange, then, to make the headline quality, (laughs) not quantity, when obviously this is a quantity play. A hundred percent. I really do think it's a bit of damage control to the HBO lovers, because a lot of people in my coastal elite universe are, are aghast that the HBO branding is being taken out of the name. They're like, but that is the marquee. That is the cream of the crop. That's the best content on the service. And I'm like... I agree with you. I think that's the best content on the service. But I also really like House Hunters, and I will absolutely stream a ton of House Hunters when it shows up on some tile next to Succession. Do I think there's some real cognitive dissonance there? Sure. But I I think there there is uh, people who just are missing that the real story is that a lot of people don't care about HBO and are immediately turned off by a service where the first word in the title is HBO. Right. Or that they assume automatically it's going to be pricey, it's going to be violent, it's going to be something they don't want on their TV for their kid to turn on, maybe. You know, uh, HBO caters to its audience very, very well, but it is still a niche audience. Yeah. And so I I think there's a bit of David Zaslav getting up there and saying... This isn't because we're not a high-quality service. HBO lovers, we want you to know we still care about quality. We're not taking HBO out of the name because we don't care about quality. We're taking HBO out of the name because we care about quality so much, we don't want to tarnish HBO's perfect reputation for being high-quality. And while that is a very strange needle to thread in some ways because you are saying something and doing something else, I do agree that that is the right strategy for HBO. I agree, too. And you know what? If you're an HBO viewer, uh, congrats. You're elite. We're elite. (laughs) Uh, We're sipping champagne on the yacht with Connor at his wedding. I love it. Are we are we ready? Are we doing it? I, that honestly, we just stumbled into the transition. I guess we have no nothing else to say about Max except, um, did you see the way that HBO's logo lives on is a little circle inside the A? Oh no, oh. I hadn't seen that. It took me an hour to recognize that. Watching just various sizzle reels until finally I went, oh, I want to know. How many months and how many thousands of dollars did it take for them to go, that's the logo? I wonder if any of those dollars could have gone to, like, a new show for us to watch. I'm just imagining it's exactly like the meeting in the season premiere we watched of Succession on the last episode, where they're reviewing logos for The Hundred. And they reviewed all the logos for Max before deciding on the same logo they already had, but with that circle thing from the other logo... Just because. I'm hoping for a better outcome for Max than for the 100. And that, that segue means it's really time now to listen to the song we've all been waiting to listen to all episode. So let's just do it. Yes, we are actually talking about Succession again, yet again. This is your final spoiler warning for Season 4, Episode 3, Connor's Wedding. Pause for spoiler warning. Also known as the episode where Logan Roy dies. Oh my god. 
Diane. I wasn't ready. Diane, I, I'm going to, inside baseball here, Diane was not going to watch the episode on Sunday night. She, You were at Springsteen, weren't you? I was, and it was great, <laughs> but. But it was no succession. It was a very different type of uh, <laughs> wonderful entertainment. So I texted Chris like, oh, I'm not going to be able to watch tonight. And you were like, stay off social media. And I could just tell by your tone. It was a text message, but I could tell that someone was dead. And then um, uh, one of the people I was with gets um, news alerts from the Hollywood Reporter, which did not say who had died, but did say that there was a succession death. So we were like, oh, my God, we cannot wait until Monday. We will go straight home and turn on succession, which was the right choice. So I was so upset on my way home because I was like, it's got to be Roman. You really thought it was going to be Roman? I, I don't know why, but it was a very Roman heavy season so far. Yeah. You know, like I could see Kendall more than Roman, but he hasn't had that much to do yet this season, which I think is about to change. Mm -hmm. But I didn't think it was going to be Logan until... I knew it was going to be Logan. <laughs> I have to say, speaking of Roman, I we um, the episode anchors us in Roman at the beginning in a way where if you went into the episode knowing someone was going to die but not knowing who, Roman is in a really tight position in the beginning of the episode where he's stuck between, obviously, Logan telling him to go fire Jerry and his loyalty to his siblings and Jerry. And you can see it eating him up inside. He is already a wreck before Logan dies. And so I could see, yeah, in those moments being like, wow, I think Rome, Roman's going to jump off the boat. Right. Or something horrible happening. You know, his relationship with Jerry is messed up, to <laughs> put it more mildly than a character on Succession would. But at the same time, I think for him, it's one of the more grounding relationships that he has. And so to have to be the one to cut her down in that way, I think was devastating for him as much as he can feel feelings. Oh, absolutely. And I think fueled his spiral of denial when they realize that Logan has died because he, he really does snap into a, a pretty heavy denial state. Uh, and, and each of their reactions is uniquely them of the three kids, of the four kids, but... <laughs> But that gets to maybe my favorite punchline of the entire episode. So I, I, obviously, you, if you're, you've seen the episode, if you're listening to this, or at least you've heard the, the broad strokes, the, the kids basically find out in real time that uh, Logan is dying and then has died on his private jet. They get a call from Tom, and at first, uh, it, Tom just says Logan is sick. But, but as a viewer, you pretty quickly realize Logan's not moving, and the kids begin to realize Logan's not breathing, they're told repeatedly. And so they go through this real-time sequence where uh, Shiv is not in the room, and uh, Ken Kendall and uh, Roman realize that they have to go get her, and they bring her in, and she's upset that they didn't get her sooner, and they're all really upset because they're beginning to realize that their father has probably just died. And at that moment, the camera kind of, like, pans a bit so we can see down a, like, hallway on the boat, and Connor's in the background. And, and no one's told Connor yet. And I cackled. I was tearing up up to that moment, but the, the moment that they revealed to us, oh, right, Connor's, like, 
10 feet away practically and has no idea this is going on. And then moments later for them to realize, oh, one of us has to tell Connor. That is the dark streak of uh, really, really funny humor in this episode that was also an extremely real portrayal of, uh, you know, trauma and grief. Uh, That is uh, a rare balancing act that was so perfectly executed. Agreed. Yeah, there were still moments of humor. I was a little bit horrified about the, the Connor of it all for a few reasons. Earlier in the episode, um, there's a moment where you think Connor is being a bit of a prima donna. It's his wedding day. And so he's entitled, perhaps. Um, uh, but um, at the same time, he's he's flipping out about the cake. He's worried that something is wrong with the cake. He calls it loony cake. Uh, And then they say that the reason he feels this way is because um, when his mother was institutionalized when he was a child, Logan didn't really know what to do with Connor because he's not a loving parent. And so he just gave him cake to placate him for days. And so like seeing the same kind of sponge cake just like triggered something in him about losing his mother. So then to have his siblings just like neglects to consider his feelings um, for so many minutes into those precious moments that are, you know, perhaps their last chance to communicate with their father, though, whether or not they really were communicating is unclear um, and seems unlikely to me. But, uh, you know, the fact that he wasn't considered, I was just sitting there like internally screaming, like, you have to get Connor. (laughs) Someone go get Connor. Which is the the correct answer. That's the correct answer that a human being with empathy should have. But I cackled. Just, you know, different strokes for different folks. Yeah. You know. I mean, I, I was still laughing, but I was also dying inside. That Which is, you know, why yeah. I love this show. Yeah. And not the only moment like that. When uh, Kendall is going through his brief period of denial, he, he gets on the phone and demands the finest airplane doctor's. The the experts in airplane medicine need to be on a Zoom with him in two minutes, as if that, one, is a request that uh, can be made, and two, as if it would change anything. And it's both, again, very funny and very heartbreaking. There are moments when it it really landed for me that this was the end and and, um, he was really dying, and it was when characters were kind to each other. Mm-hmm. that you knew something must be really bad. Like Kendall, um, when he goes to tell Siobhan, he says, Shivy, honey. Yeah. It's like, that's not how he talks to his sister. And when um, Kendall is on the phone with Frank, I think it is, um, trying to say like, oh, I insist that get the pilot on the phone. Why can't the pilot start doing this for me? And and Frank says, him, uh, says to him, because uh, he's flying the plane, son. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, those those tender moments are like, oh, oh, wow. You know that that does not come easily to these people. And so we're on an emotional plane that this show doesn't always reach. Yeah. And, and you know, for me, I was watching pretty much in real time. So I didn't know that somebody was definitely going to die. And I spent a good chunk of that about 10 minute sequence where things are sort of unfolding in real time. Uh, waiting for the other shoe to drop. I was not convinced he was going to die. Because at a certain point, I was ready for the twist to be they all write him off as dead and begin to make machinations 
and that's when suddenly the defibrillator works and now they have to deal with the repercussions of they publicly betrayed him in some way. I was waiting for the the needle to thread in that way that succession often does. And instead, mm-hmm. they they you know took us on the exact same emotional arc the kids were going on, which was the disbelief, the the insistence that no, he's put us through this before. Surely he's going to bounce back up. Surely this is a, a a test or some other kind of thing. And n- no, you just eventually, and each of the kids at their own different time eventually realizes. No, he's he's dead. He's been dead perhaps for many, many, many minutes now. Or perhaps he just died. It really doesn't matter. It's it's now, like, at, sur- at some point you have to admit he's not going to suddenly start breathing again. And it, 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 that is a portrayal of grief that is very real for a show that I would have thought is too um, jaded. And and mm-hmm. kind of calloused in a in a real in a, a calloused not in a, a unfeeling way but calloused in a you know a cynical way that these characters typically are and, and no the sh- the show is not as calloused or cynical as the characters which is a really uh, wonderful twist I think agreed like you I really appreciated that they had our experience as viewers echo the experience of uh, the kids. Number one, we didn't have that scene in the bathroom where we see Logan clutching his chest or something. Uh, You know, we just really see glimpses of his body, but never his head um, until, you know, he's already gone. Um, And also just the placement of this in the season and then within the greater arc of the show who kills off a lead in episode three that's what's so clever about it i feel like you know uh, we're going to revisit our predictions in a minute and both of us confidently said logan's not going to die because it just didn't occur to me that you would kill him at the beginning of the season unless you were going to kill him in the premiere in a way, just my, my TV watching brain said, you either kill him in the premiere or you kill him in the finale. And both of those are too predictable. And this show doesn't like to be that predictable. And so I just went into this season knowing it would be the final season saying, well, they're not going to do anything that predictable. So I guess he's going to live in some way. And that, of course, was foolish because if you zoom out, the show has always been about succession. He was always destined to die or exit the picture in some way. But mm-hmm. when you get caught up in the the, the week to week in your own expectations, uh, you, you can easily lose sight of something as obvious as, yeah, he was always going to die. That was kind of the entire reason the show existed. That King Lear plot wasn't as buried as we thought right? it might have been. <laughs> If he had died at any point in season one, I would not have been surprised. It just, they hadn't really peppered in a lot of bad health things in a, in a bit. There were some in the previous season, but, it, you know, um, he seemed in some ways more ferocious, more vital in the first two episodes of season four than he has been ever before. And seeing him, like, so energized like that, I was rooting for Logan in a way that I hadn't been in previous seasons. And uh, so I just, I feel bereft. 
Yeah, I honestly, the the more I've had time to think about it, and the more I've I've listened to uh, some of the artists like Brian Cox and obviously Jesse Armstrong and the episode director Mark Mylod, uh, in the days since, uh, I realized th- this was a really expertly crafted uh, piece of misdirection. And they, you know, Jesse Armstrong admits that that was. One reason to do it in episode three was the shock. The, it, it definitely subverts expectations. But to his uh, greater point, the show, it, again, this is just I'm uh, riffing on what Jesse Armstrong has said. Uh, they always wanted to investigate what the kids would do after he was finally out of the picture. And mm-hmm. so much of the setup of this season and the beginning of this season has been about putting the three kids together against Logan and uniting them in a way that they haven't really been united in a long, long time in the in the series, while also giving Logan a lot of momentum and seemingly pushing them towards a, a final showdown between Logan and the kids. And to remove him at that moment when we were careening towards this head-to-head showdown is a, a, a brilliant way to disrupt and force the kids to turn against each other one way or another. And yeah, that is what we want to see play out. That's always what we've wanted to see on this show. The kids are the star. Logan's just the reason they're all together. Right. There was a moment at the end of the episode uh, when Kendall, who is just too overcome with emotion or um, trying to steal himself too much from the emotional response he knows he'll have, um, refuses to go up and look at his father's body and chooses instead to um, stay far away and and watch from from his vantage point. I think that there was a moment there where we watched him feeling that when I went, oh, good, we're back with our protagonist. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was kind of on safe ground again as a viewer. Now, do I think I'll be on safe ground long with succession? Well, no, because (laughs) they've always got something up their sleeve, Um, which is why, I mean, I don't even think there's any competition anymore for this being the best TV writing uh, out right now. No, I I think you're probably right. Obviously, we're about to get the final season of Barry, which might give this a run for its money in that department. But that that is a really high bar. That's two extremely high bars next to each other. Good company to be in. Mm -hmm. In terms of the actual construction of this season's uh, story, some of the details that I found really interesting is how long they've known this was what they were going to do. Uh, in the interviews, uh, both Brian and Jesse Armstrong have said that, that, you know, this basically was filmed last July, and so they've kept this secret since then, but that the writers knew that this was what they were probably going to do as far back as January of 2022, and that as they were breaking season four and mapping it out, whiteboarding it, they had to come up with a code for Logan Dies. And so for episode three, they wrote Connor's Wedding, Larry David. And for what would now be like a year and a half almost, that's been the code name they've been using for this. And that they went as far as having, you know, Brian Cox come to, uh, you know, calls for shoots on episodes that he's not in anymore. They, they went very far out of their way to do everything they could to keep this a surprise. And it is 
remarkable that they were successful. The uh, reviewers who reviewed season four, they saw this episode. They got the first four episodes of season four. I saw uh, uh, Linda Holmes from NPR tweeted mm-hmm. that uh, a link back to her review after the episode aired this week and said, go back and read all of the reviews of season four and now think about how much we were tiptoeing around the thing that just happened. And you reread her review at least and you're like, Yes, oh my gosh, the whole review is basically you walking around uh, the the one thing you can't say and saying, you know, we see the kids in a new light this season. Huh? Huh? Oh, wow. It's just so clever. And I appreciate them going to that extra length because this was one where I, not knowing it was coming, I think, did enhance my viewing experience. Though... I think it would still be a very good episode of television if I knew. Oh, yeah, I I agree. But I I like, you know, to uh, both of our points in kind of different ways before, because we both had different amounts of information going in. We both were on the edge of our seats waiting to find out what was really happening. There was a an absolutely gripping energy to this episode and uh, and really like fluid plotting where there was not a dull moment that let you kind of snap out of it. You were on that ride the whole time, whether you knew someone was going to die or not, you knew this was a a momentous event in the the course of this series. Absolutely. And I love that instead of speeding things up to get there, they put in a 28 page scene. Yeah. the, the, it's just unheard of in television. I mean, until they uh, leave the boat and and take, like, the helicopter to the airport to meet the private jet, it is kind of a bottle episode. Like, it is happening in real time for a majority of the episode to the point where, again, in the after episode a little featurette and in some of the interviews, uh, and, of course, we have some links in the show notes, uh, Mark, Mark Mylod has said they shot that 28-page sequence once straight through as like a little one-act play, basically. And that mm-hmm. obviously that's not the only time they shot it. There, There's uh, many, many takes of things. That's how television is made. But that they used a lot of that in the final take, um, in the final edit. On top of that, another detail I just learned while listening to Kara Swisher's excellent Succession podcast uh, interviewing, again, Jesse Armstrong and Mark Mylod, uh, they, when they do phone calls on that show... They have the actual actor on the other end of the line, which is not really standard, I think, for most productions. But in those calls where the kids are around the phone and they're talking to Tom on the plane, Matthew McFadden was really on the phone with them from London because he was done filming at like 2 a.m. there acting, acting. You know, but that, that was not easy. It's just because you can't see him doesn't mean like, oh, that was easy acting. His, his, him on the phone was some of the most affecting acting I've seen all year. Oh, absolutely. With the kids, with Shiv in particular, of course, but also in his scene with Greg on the yeah. phone when he's letting him know. And you can see that he tries to do the Tom defense mechanism with the like really cynical, really nasty take and that it's just breaking him to be that guy right now. Oh, my God. We could talk about the acting in this episode for a long time. But just across the board, the the nuance in these performances, it's just stunning work. Yeah. And, and in a lot of ways, something that you earn 
uh, as a viewer over many, many seasons of a show where you feel so uh, close to these characters or where you feel like you know what makes them tick so that you can see all the layers. They don't have to overact to communicate how they're feeling because you know them so well that you see the crack in Shiv's voice or you see the fear in Tom's eyes. Uh, and these actors know these characters so well by this point that they can do that in such a nuanced way. I, I mean, truly, such a testament to, obviously, all the artists involved, but also in how a series like this really uh, grows and uh, into itself over time and becomes more than just the sum of its parts. You know, you mentioned that Logan easily could have died in the first season. Well, Brian Cox has uh, mentioned that he he only signed up for one season when they initially pitched him on the show. It was on the table from the inception of this show that they could kill Logan in the first season and then have the entire series be about following the kids in the aftermath. And they realized, I think rightly, that Brian Cox was too magnetic and too much of uh, kind of the center of the universe for the show. And they didn't go that way. But that's always been something that they could work with and obviously something they finally decided to embrace in the final season. And all of that just shows such confidence uh, of, of the showrunners and the creators, I think, to uh, have a really strong idea. Jesse Armstrong has said he always knew how the show would basically end. Logan has to die. That has never been a question in his mind, it turns out, despite our doubts. Uh, but to, to be able to see what you're making and go... Ah, I thought I knew how it would happen, but now, working with these other artists, seeing what we're creating, it's actually going to happen differently. It, it's not just that he's so magnetic, too, to the viewers. It's just for every character on the show, he's like the source of light in any room. He's the source of all their knowledge, all their confidence in themselves. They, like, all need... Uh, therapy <laughs> so badly to like have their own um locus of identity but uh, you know what i mean that yeah because he's just so larger than life um so i i loved when they're talking about who they would notify um carolina was discussing like the list of who they should let know and they were like you know the kids and third on the list was potus yes <laughs> yes like ima imagine someone being that powerful, but you know, but it, but that's not unrealistic. It's not unrealistic. No, it really isn't. And you know, I think that's the best time uh, for us to transition to a check in on our predictions. That is a segment, as always, that we call TV Tarot. And of course, in TV Tarot, we try to predict the future. I think we are not as good at this as we once thought we were, because we both predicted that Logan would live. Uh, we were wrong about that. So I want to just revisit a few other things here. And on the note of politics and POTUS, one of our questions was, will Connor keep his 1% in the presidential race? I said he wouldn't, and now I'm going to I'm gonna cheat uh, a bit and say, when I said he wouldn't, I meant his number's going to go up. But I said that. Okay, maybe okay, you fine. actually you can share said my that. prediction. Fine. I, well, I thought it would go up for different reasons, <laughs> but I, I do think it's it's very um, it opens up a lot of comedic possibilities, and it also reflects some real life things where someone who maybe decided to run for president to sell a bunch of books and stuff uh, ended up becoming the president. I don't think Connor's going to become the president, but I think that his campaign is going to be a big deal moving forward. To yeah, the I, I think he's going to be a spoiler uh, in the election. And I, I actually think it's going to be, I, I think we're, um, 
going into this season, rather, I would have said, yeah, Connor is going to be kind of a sideshow this season. Connor is always the the comic relief of the family in some ways. And increasingly, I think Connor is going to be a huge player in the end game of the show. Yeah, here we go. Okay, well, that our second question, we are right about some things. We said, we both said Connor and Willow would get married, and I am thrilled that they actually did it in this episode. And, uh, you know, while we spent a lot of time talking about, obviously, the big event of the episode, the, the scene where they decide to go through with it, where Connor asks Willow, basically, do you actually love me, or is this just about the money? And Willa, you know, you see the moment where she's going to lie and say, I actually love you, and then you see her realize... You can't lie to him about this. He he will see through that. And that she does, I think, have some real affection for him and doesn't want to lie to him. And so that, that moment of tender, sad realism that, you know, where she levels with him, basically, and says, mm. well, if, it, if the money is part of it, does that really matter as long as the feelings are real? And they go through with it. And, and, it, and you know what? Good for them. I don't like Connor as a human, obviously, but I am so happy that they went through with it. I uh, hope we'll get to see more Willa Ferreira plays. Yeah, Um, right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that now leads us into the other side of nuptials, Tom and Shiv. We both thought that they were definitely going to get divorced, and I am now completely up in the air on that. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that they'll get divorced still. Like I said before, I don't think they'll break up, but I think they'll get divorced. Uh, I think that's probably a fair assumption, but I am no longer so confident. Uh, one one that I now regret my decision on is, do Roman and Jerry reunite? And this episode, I think, made it extremely clear that that's not on the table. No, I don't think they will. It breaks my heart to say so, but I am throwing in the towel on that one. Um uh, we we did wonder, and I still think this isn't an interesting wild card. Kendall's, you know, manslaughter uh, is that going to come back to haunt him in any substantial way before the end of the series? And certainly, that would be an interesting twist as he tries to wrestle control of the company, which I think is very likely. Uh, but I'm not sure that that is the kind of twist the show is interested in. I agree with that. The only reason I think it might is because I feel very confident now that Marsha's going to come back into play. Mm-hmm. Not very confident, but reasonably confident <laughs> that Marsha's going to come back into play. Um, so I don't think it's something that's going to become public. I think that it's going to be something that Kendall will be dealing with as he battles his own demons. I think that's likely, but I'm intrigued to see if they play with it. Anything is on the table to me at this point, uh, which gets us to one of our final questions. You know, do we think anyone else will end up dead? Uh, I still don't think so. But again, there are many, many, many characters in the greater succession cinematic universe at this point. So to say no one else is going to die is sort of a bold claim. I don't know. I think that we're going to have one. What kind? I, I, like, you don't have to know who, but is it like mm, somebody who, who works in the business side? Is it um, somebody who's more of like a, a Greg? I don't think Greg will die. I think Greg will probably be pretty much the same because I think Greg is mostly a comic character. So I don't think Greg is really capable of change. He may move up in the world, but I, I don't think or maybe get a comeuppance. I don't think Greg's going to die. I think that someone close to Kendall will suffer a tremendous loss. 
Um, which is why I thought either Naomi, maybe something will happen with his kids, God yeah. forbid. Like, like maybe he loses custody of his kids or something. I, I mean, as soon as you said someone close to Kendall, my my brain immediately went to, oh shit, he has kids. Constantly yeah. forgetting that he has kids. Ugh. And his oldest kid seems like um, he may not be neurotypical. They haven't really been very explicit about that, but they've hinted towards that. So I don't know. I, I worry about um, that kid's emotional health in this world. Oh, don't we all worry about people's emotional health in that world of succession? Uh, but, you know, that brings us to our final TV Tarot question. Still unanswered. Who winds up in charge? I, I'm going to go out on a limb now and say my mm-hmm. prediction is Connor. Ooh, okay. Fresh off like of that. his, uh, n- you know, newfound success polling 2.2% in the presidential race, he suddenly is the most attractive person to take over. But would the board ever do that? Because the board knows. Well, I don't know. Does the board know that Connor is such a doofus? The family knows Connor is such a doofus. But I am not sure the the people outside the immediate family really knows that. That could be. I think that um, in the remainder of the season, at one point, briefly, Kendall will reign. And then he will have a very fortuitous fall. So I don't think the show will end with Kendall. I think the show will still end with somebody outside the family. Matson, is it going to be Matson? Maybe Matson. Maybe Nan Save Pierce. Money. I don't know. Yeah, maybe Matson. I'll, I'll I'll double down on my Matson bet. Ooh, I do suddenly have a vision of Nan getting ATN and combining it with Pierce. That would be a fun twist. Yeah. Logan would hate it. He'd be spinning He'd be in rolling grave. in his grave. But that would really be Nan playing the long game. And I would always be here for more Cherry Jones. Yes, please. Oh, well, you know, listeners, what do you want to see happen in the final episodes of season four of Succession? The final episodes of the series of Succession. How will we live in this post-Logan Roy world. You can tell us at podcast at streamageddon.com. Send us your thoughts. We, of course, cannot help ourselves but talk about succession. But we promise, next week, we are moving on to Netflix with Beef and The Night Agent in an episode I've already titled The Night Beef. So join us next (laughs) week for some delicious night beef. And until then, let us all take a moment to mourn a titan of the media. Logan Roy, who would want us always, Diane, to do what? Keep Keep streaming. streaming. I thought you were going to say he'd want us both to fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Also true. Also true.